welcome to episode 207 of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your host, writer, and producer, Derek M. Cook. I want to welcome you to the podcast and welcome you to the band Sonomish. We're playing the song Strato Party from the album Strato Party. You can find them over at tsunamish.bandcamp.com. Or just follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. They gave us permission to play the song here on the show. We'll play it in its entirety at the end of the episode. But before we get to the end of the episode, man, we've got a lot to go over this time around. I'm excited because we've got returning guest Frank Schilderner on the show. Now, Frank appeared on the show last year. He's an author. He focuses mostly on new pulp. I'm a big fan of new pulp literature and the new pulp movement. Frank is an author, an important author in this movement, if you ask me. And not just because he's a fellow monster kid. And he's got a new project coming up, a new novel. And he's going to tell us about that here in a little bit. Before we get to Frank, I'd like to say thank you once again for the rondos. I know I keep saying it, but I bring it up this time around because last weekend was Wonderfest in Kentucky. Well, I wasn't able to get out to Wonderfest, wasn't able to make it out to the Rondo Award ceremony where the awards themselves were given out. However, I was asked to put together a little acceptance video, and I sent them one that you can now see over at monsterkidradio.net or on the Monster Kid Radio YouTube channel. Now, while the video was designed to be played at Wonderfest itself, I thought I'd go ahead and play the audio from that video here. everyone this is Derek M. Cook the writer producer and host of Monster Kid Radio the podcast where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear and I'm honored to accept the Rondo Award for best podcast multimedia it means so much to me I've been following the Rondo Awards for years ever since I first discovered them years ago when I was producing another show I used to watch the Rondo ballads and use it as a checklist for what was really cool in the past year for Monster Kids and to be included on this year's ballot with so many incredible podcasts and other nominees. I mean, I still get a thrill. I get a charge out of it. And it's something that I'm going to use to help fuel the future of Monster Kid Radio. We just passed 200 episodes not too long ago, and I've got a lot of really big plans coming up down the line for this year and next year and beyond. Now, I wouldn't have been able to produce Monster Kid Radio without all the amazing special guests who have been on the show in the past. I love talking about classic monster movies, classic fantasy, sci-fi, and horror, and I do it anyway. That I get to do it with a microphone with people that I have never even met in real life. I talk with them on Skype or something like that. It's just a real honor, a treat. It's monster gravy, and I love doing it. Many of you in the room right now have actually appeared on the show in the past, and two guests of Wonderfest. Victoria Price and Sarah Karloff, they've both been on the show as well. So if you see them, tell them that Monster Kid Radio said hi, would you? Again, thank you so much for this honor. This is incredible, and I'm still flabbergasted. I'm still in shock. When I first found out about winning the Rondo, it took me about three times to get the words out of my mouth when I told my wife about it. So it means a lot. I'm touched. I'm honored. Onward and upward. Thank you. Once again, thank you. It cannot be overstated how much it means to me to have won the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Award for Best Podcast or Multimedia. It feels like a really big deal. And I know this big deal wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for so many incredible supporters, guests, and specifically you guys and gals, the listeners of Monster Kid Radio. So again... 
thank you from the bottom of my monster kid heart. Okay, why don't we go ahead and get to our conversation with Frank Schuldiner about an upcoming novel and a few other things, Frankenstein, right after this. Each fortnight to the IndieCast, the world's number one Indiana Jones fan podcast. Trust me. Featuring the latest news, reviews, and interviews with on-screen and behind-the-scenes talent who help bring to life the greatest adventure movie series ever made. Each episode has the latest from the world of Indiana Jones, as well as interactive segments, trivia, contests, and specials, including radio dramas and music retrospectives. The IndieCast. It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking to God. Available in iTunes or listen directly at theindiecast.com. If adventure has a name, it must be the IndieCast. Witches, demons, man-made monsters all make up the news tonight. And we'll have more after this. Night of the Witches and Dr. Frankenstein on campus. Never before has the screen dared such cold, unspeakable terror. Tales of vampirism, supernatural horrors, medieval demonology, and coffins in the castle dungeon occupied by day, empty by night. You will believe the most unimaginable grip of cold, dead horror ever felt, ever shown on any screen. Night of the Witches and Dr. Frankenstein on campus, shown together in a bond of eternal fiendship. <laughs> the management has agreed to provide nurse and ambulance service for stricken patrons. Rated R. <laughs> Interrupting my work. Your work. The work of the devil. Hans. Please, Father. Ah. You can't. No! The evil of Frankenstein. The evil of a man who created a monster by crude surgery and harnessed the tempestuous forces of nature to give it life. The evil of Frankenstein unleashed a monster that terrorized a whole community. Peter Cushing as the Baron and Peter Woodthorpe as the ruthless Professor Zoltan, who fought the Baron for control of the monster. Oh, he'll understand you, all right. He just won't obey you. That's all. Duncan Lamont as the chief of police. Katie Wilde and Sandorelles as two young people caught up in the evil of Frankenstein.
Hey gang, me again. We're going to get to the bulk of the episode here in a second. But first, I wanted to give a shout out to a local to me business that has supported Monster Kid Radio for quite some time. I'm talking about the Joy Cinema and Pub here in Tigard, Oregon. It is the home of numerous Monster Kid Radio crashes. I've been fortunate enough to actually introduce movies at the Joy Cinema as well. I've seen Creature from a Black Lagoon on the big screen at this theater. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Frankenstein's daughter. The Brain That Wouldn't Die. The House on Haunted Hill. Last Man on Earth. I've seen so many great movies here. We've crashed a number of screenings at this theater, and we've covered them here on the show. Jeff Punk Rock Martin is the owner and operator of the Joy Cinema. And this past week, he launched an Indiegogo campaign. Keep the Joy Cinema open. Here's the deal. He owns the theater, but there are operating costs, one of them being rent, leasing the space for the Joy Cinema. The Joy is 100% independently owned and operated. They did pop for the digital projector when that all went down and the studio started saying we're not distributing anything on film anymore. They got the digital projector so they could stay relevant and stay running, but now it's time to look at other costs, like the aforementioned lease. So, there's an Indiegogo campaign that is running as of this recording for another 41, 40 days or so. Their ultimate goal is to raise $50,000. Now, I know many of you are not in the Portland, Oregon area, and I can probably count on my hands and feet the number of people that I've seen at the Joy Cinema for a Monster Kid Radio crash or just go into the movies in general. I'm going to put a link to the Indiegogo campaign over in the show notes at monsterkidradio.net. If you can help support the Joy, that's fantastic. If you can just share the link on your Facebook page, on Twitter, an email to friends, if you have friends who happen to live in the area, even friends that don't necessarily listen to Monster Kid Radio, although if they're not listening to MKR, I don't know why they're your friends. But still, if you have people who might be interested in helping an independently owned movie theater and keep it running for years to come, we'll take all the support we can get. Jeff is a good guy. He loves his movies. He loves his classic monster films. If you've ever had an opportunity to go to the Joy Cinema, you're going to see that as soon as you walk in. He's got movie posters all over the walls. He's got some originals and some reproductions of some lobby cards from Lon Chaney films. Even the bathrooms are covered in movie posters. And I'm not talking about just your regular movie posters. I'm talking about your classic monster movies, some of your cult movies, some of your weird films. And of course, the Joy Cinema is the home of the weekly Weird Wednesday series, which is where I've seen many of these films. This is typically where the crashes happen, actually, for Monster Kid Radio. It's always a good time. Jeff is a good guy. The Joy is a good cinema definitely would appreciate your support again it's indiegogo.com and just go look up joy cinema frank schildener appeared on the show last year when he told us about his story big old scorpion and then his book first season other tales appeared on the holiday gift guide last december and he's back here on monster kid radio to talk to us about an upcoming release that i'm super excited about Frank, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Derek. How you been? And congratulations again on the Rondo win. Really, really awesome. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I, I couldn't have done it without, well, you and everybody else who's appeared on the show to make Monster Kid Radio just so much fun for me. So thank you. You're welcome. How have things been? Still writing? Oh, all the time. I'm always working on something. I, between that, my regular job, my martial art teaching at night and writing, I think I uh, become a type double A personality. It's amazing. I 
did not ever dream I'd be like this in my life. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm always working on something. And, and as you said, I have a new book coming out in August, my first novel, The Quest of Frankenstein. The Quest of Frankenstein. This kind of came out of the blue for me. I, I knew that you had some other things going on. We talked a little bit off mic on Facebook, that sort of thing about you know something else you might be working on. But a Frankenstein novel? Yes, this is a very unique direction for me. and I was as surprised by it as anybody. <laughs> really, I, I, I love the classics. As you know, we've spoken on it many times. And I love the classic monsters of Frankenstein being probably the classic monster at this point to me. But I never imagined I'd write the character until Black Coat Press's owner, publisher, editor, and I can pretty much call him my mentor in writing, Jean-Marc Lossier. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He owns this uh, company and publishers, Black Coat Press, that publishes two things, really. The first is... He publishes reprinted versions of French adventure, science fiction, mystery, fantasy, translated into English um, with the amazing Brian Stableford, one of the great writers of all time. One of the things that I didn't realize, I knew the French had a very great tradition of, of literature. I didn't realize they had such an amazing tradition of pulp literature until I met J.M. That's what everybody calls him. And he publishes a lot of those, and a bunch come out every month, and it's just absolutely spectacular. And he also publishes new stuff based on those concepts or new concepts uh, through uh, American and French writers. And um, that's how I actually got published the first time. He had me write a story based on a French character. It was an ancient aliens meets Indiana Jones kind of character. Really great stuff going Gene Caravan. And he published that in his yearly book, uh, Tales of the Shadow Man, a bunch of short stories by authors, uh, new people like myself, but I'm talking luminaries like Brian Stableford writes in it regularly, uh, Michael Moorcock has written in it, uh, Kim Newman. I mean, really amazing writers are in this every year. And one of the characters that came out of that was a version of the Frankenstein monster written by a man named Carrier, Jean-Claude Carrier, who is a Oscar-winning screenwriter, one of the great French screenwriters. And in the 50s, he wrote five Frankenstein novels for this pulp publisher. And he decided, apparently, to go a very unique direction. Now, we know many versions of the Frankenstein monster. Right. Byronic version that was originally written, the one filled with such pathos in uh, the James Whale version. Even nowadays, you can even see the silent version, Charles Ogle with uh, mm-hmm. Thomas Edison. I mean, so many versions. But this version is probably the most unique of all of them. The monster is known as Garur. That's the first word, apparently, the creature said, and that became its name. Garur. And this creature is a fiend, a demon. It is giant with chalky white skin and razor sharp teeth and it kills without a second thought and it has a long-term plan of some kind that's not really illuminated in five books but i sort of went into it in my book and the character wants a mate and never explained exactly his reasoning but does fit the shelley story and 
I came up with an idea to write this character in another book, the first novel version. It's been written in short stories by myself, uh, Brian Stableford, and a few others. But this is the first novel since the 1950s of this character. So it's a pretty awesome responsibility, I guess you could call it, because I'm following a screenwriter who just this year was given a Lifetime Achievement Award by the Academy. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And apparently, here's the thing that really amazes me. Some people, when they get older and more established, start poo-pooing their earlier work. Apparently, the man's quite proud of the fact that he wrote Pulp and his Frankenstein series and all that. He's very quite proud of it. He's like, hey, that was part of who I was. So I got to admire that. That's cool. Right on. Yeah. So this story, uh, I'll give you a brief because okay. I, I don't want to sell the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. No, no spoilers. I mean, no, <laughs> no spoilers. It takes place during the world war one. He has an encounter in the first chapter that is just amazing. I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> he, then the second chapter starts where the quest begins. He meets up with the legendary monster creator himself, Herbert West. Okay. Well, Herbert West in the HP Lovecraft stories was in world war one working and doing his monster creating and attempting to defeat, you know, nature Mm -hmm. through science. And after world war one, the character went from having these very altruistic reasons of bringing the dead back to being pretty much a, a monster himself, just, creating evil creatures and i found i have a way to now have that happen what snapped this good person who was doing crazy things into becoming a totally dangerous evil man and he has the notes of the original creation of the monster now when i say that i have to give a quick thesis on that (laughs) there too (laughs) When we think of the monster creation, we think of electricity, Colin Clive, it's alive, it's alive, the whole routine. Believe me, I, oh, yeah. I'm poo-pooing it. I love I love it. But that's not what Mary Shelley wrote. No, not at all. Mary Shelley wrote very uh, hints of chemistry and alchemy and science. And, you know, she didn't go into great details because that was the last of her real interest. She just wanted it to be science-based. But she did mention alchemy as well as the chemistry. So I decided to have West produce this list of ingredients to cause to create this rule, this monster who is afraid of nothing, is not afraid of fire, is just stronger than human and more bestial than anyone. And the list is pretty long. And he has to go to different parts of the world to find these ingredients. And these ingredients are not like finding a <laughs> a certain kind of plant. No, they're usually living ingredients, if you can get my drift. Okay. <laughs> Everywhere he goes is encountering another form of monster of some kind. Without realizing I was doing it, I created an entire world of horror, an entire microcosm where the entire world has all of these terrible creatures in it right underneath the surface. And Garul is one of the worst of the bunch. Wow. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it allows the reader also, if you're not familiar with some of the concepts to be introduced to them as well. I didn't write it from the point of view that you know, every single crazy thing in my head because I don't even know that. So <laughs> I decided to, to give you a brief and also take directions that I didn't even realize I was going to. Like, for example, there's a chapter 
that uses a character, a very minor character from the great last uh, Hammer vampire movie, Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter. Really? If you remember, the Durwood family were the vampires. The yeah. The, the mother and the father, who was played by one of the greatest screen duelists of all time. And <laughs> they had a son and a daughter in the story. And then they literally, mm. when when the vampires are killed, the son and daughter are just left there. And it's like, you know, it's like, well, what happened to them is one of my thoughts, because I think that about every character when I see a movie or read a book, that with a minor character, I mean, these, these were lord and lady of the of the this area and they were left in discovering that their parents were vampires and that their family was was related to the karnsteins who were pretty terrible family in in history and movies and stuff like that so i took one of the characters and i brought her to the modern world in my in a unique way and it, it actually shows a different direction that people can take evil uh, so that was a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> and I found even a way to use obscure stories that came to mind. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Blind Templar movies out of Spain. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, they're in there. <laughs> wow. They're in there. I will say this. I'm proud of myself, and it wasn't intended, but I'm very proud of myself because I found a way to have versions of the great universal monsters in every part of the story. I have a creature from the Black Lagoon. I have a, a version of it, not the exact one, not even close. I have a mummy, and I do have a wolf man. Sign me up. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm all in. So you've got all these monsters. You've got this Garul, this Frankenstein monster type who sounds wicked. He's meeting up with Herbert West, which is somebody you don't want to trifle with. You've got Karnstein connection. You've got all this stuff going on. Are there any heroes? In a sense, no. There's oh, no. <laughs> um, not really. This is not about that. Here's the concept I was really working from. Uh -huh. There are heroes in that horror world, but they can't always be the ones that are there. So sometimes the monsters solve their own problems. <laughs> I love that. Put that on a T-shirt. I love that. Sometimes the monsters solve their own problems. I love that. Well, you know where I learned that, actually, is the movie M. Oh, yeah. That's where, and I mean, yeah, of course, they have the ending with the police arresting everybody and all that, this, that, and the other thing. But it was really the, really the criminals, murderers that were the ones who were solving the child killer in that movie, in that story. And I always said to myself, you know, occasionally I have to write a story where – no, it's not a good guy who figures it out. It's the bad guy. <laughs> this sounds awesome. So did you pitch to Black Coat Press this idea, or did they come to you? No, no, I pitched to them. JM is an amazing human being, but he does have a very strong way of controlling his the ideas. And okay. I tossed the idea at him, and we tossed it back and forth, and he liked it. But... If he hadn't, he'd have told me, mm, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. And that would have been the end of that. But so if he likes the idea, he's willing to run with it. He just, and he offers suggestions because the man is very experienced at this. I heard him pretty recently on a podcast himself. First time I ever heard his voice because I've only dealt with him on email. He lives in France. And the man has an encyclopedic knowledge of French fiction. And I'm just sitting there listening. It's like listening to a doctoral thesis 
on stuff I want to know more about science fiction and horror and all of that. Really amazing human being. You know, from having you on the show before and from chatting with you, I know you've got a pulp background. You write a lot of new pulp, that sort of thing. Did you have a lot of experience with this French pulp? That's how I got started. Oh, I wrote okay. a character named Jean Caravan for Black Coat Press. And from there, in the Tales of the Shadow, and then people started immediately giving me jobs. So I really got my start in French. And I write one story every year for Tales of the Shadow Men because I just love writing that place. And I get to write unique stories with Gene Caravan. Is, he kind of looks like Clark Gable. There's a bunch of stories coming out about him from Black Coat this year, I believe. And he investigates ancient aliens. He's an archaeologist who investigates these ancient aliens because there was this war that is going on in space between a group called the Polarians, who look very human, and a group called the Denebians, who look kind of like a green version of Vulcans and are very evil. And I wrote a bunch of stories where I had Gene Caravan having adventures with uh, Cato from the Green Hornet, <laughs> Albert Campion, the Toph. He even met up with um, an inspector from the Nero Wolf series. I mean... It's such a pleasure to write that character. So Tales of the Shadow Men, it's, it's an annual it's like collection of short stories every year. Yes, yes. And some you get just so many amazing stories out of it. One year, because it was an anniversary of a series called The Black Coats by a, name, a man named Paul Farrell, who very amazing story about basically an evil gang. And it was led by a person named, known as the Colonel who had this – Wealth that was like trillions, quadrillions of dollars that you would see. And the colonel may have been Satan himself is the way the story apparently suggests. So because it was like the anniversary of the creation of these characters, a bunch of us each wrote short stories based on the black coats. I had, and I think you'll love this one. Uh -oh. I had colonel meeting up with the villain from Live and Let Die, played in the movie by Yafet Kodo, Mr. Big. And of course, being who I am, I had to have Baron Samdi, as played by Jeffrey Holder, there the whole time. <laughs> so he has this meeting with, uh, with Mr. Big, and I got a chance to write Jeffrey Holder's character from Live and Let Die, thanks to JM. So to me, it's like, that was like, a dream you never imagined you'd have because what a, what a great character that was. This black coat press sounds like somewhere I want to hang out. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. You really you, – you can't go wrong because you discover an amazing world that, that most people don't know about. You can read stories, science fiction stories going back to the 1800s. You can go back – you can read adventure stories uh, of amazing varieties. I mean there are characters that – have it influenced the whole world. I mean, every time you see a villain who is like a twisted evil villain who causes terrible deaths, it's probably caused by the influence of a French character known as Fantomas, who was a evil character who did these terrible deaths and is, was part of these series of stories that many people are stealing to this day. So anytime you see a character like the phantom of some kind who is, uh, you know, a burglar and a murderer and all that, it's a version of Phantomas out of French and literature and black coat press prints, that stuff. 
You can get it on Kindle and Nook and book versions. It's just such an amazing place to hang out. And JM and his wife Randy are just just two of the best people you could ever ever meet. The Phantomas. That sounds very familiar. There, there was a movie or two, right? Phantomas. Man of mystery. Man of intrigue. Evil. Cunning. Cruel. Genius of the diabolical. Phantomas. Master of a hundred tricks. Demon of a thousand traps. What can stop him? Who can stop Fantomas? There's a bunch of movies based on the character that had this character around for a long time. And uh, there's other characters of the same variety, uh, Judex, all these different characters of venture literature that you can get really very easily through JM's company. So I hope you'll take a look at it. You'll really have a good time. Oh, sure. Now, so blackcoatpress.com is where you're going to find all that. And it looks like you can buy it directly from them. Yes. And if you want Ebert versions of it, you, they provide you a link that will take you to Amazon. or Google Okay. Or so you, you really can't go wrong that way. I learn things all the time just by looking at the books he comes out with. Because sometimes these uh, sci-fi novels that came out of France have very deep meanings of what they think the future will hold. I got to ask you about the Herbert West connection in The Quest of Frankenstein. Because anybody who listens to the show for just a minute or two knows that I love Lovecraft. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you've got a similar background with Lovecraft. I mean, coming from the pulps. Oh, totally. I mean... You love his writing, you hate the human being. I hate to use the word hate, but it is. I mean, he was a bizarre human being. Mm -hmm. He had his ups, he had his downs in his writing, but when he was on, the man was a master. That's the only way you could put it. He was a master. He created worlds that are still influencing fiction to this day and will mm -hmm. continue to do so. So I have to pay tribute to the good side of Lovecraft and his work. And I did use a great deal of Lovecraft in this book, I will tell you. I'm reading the description on the Black Oak Press website. And you mentioned Herbert West, or I'm assuming you know they put the website together, they put the, the synopsis up here. But then you also mentioned Nightmarish Creatures from Beyond. And Beyond is in a capital B. And of course, you, you mentioned Lovecraft earlier, so I'm like, the Beyond, oh no, you know, this is... <laughs> Oh, yeah, they definitely have a strong part of the story overall. Nice. Um, honestly, 
it was never planned, but it happened because I guess I'm so influenced by H.P. Lovecraft's work that it always somehow permeates in any horror of any kind that I write. And it really came through in this case. I did it in a different way than I did. The, the last time I wrote a lot of Lovecraft at the top of my head, I'm thinking, was a story through Airship 27 mm-hmm. with a character called Ravenwood, the stepson of mystery. And that was a very occult story. And I took a, a German supervillain hero of the period, a Nazi who's like a Nazi doc savage. And I had him basically as a stooge for the Lovecraftian creature, Nilarthotep, who's kind of a cosmic trickster and tempter. Uh, and I loved having fun with that. <laughs> sure, sure. How could I not? I mean, well, it's just such good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the idea that, that the reanimator is going to show up in your Frankenstein novel, considering that Lovecraft kind of wrote the reanimator as a reaction to Frankenstein. So to kind of bring them both together, I don't know if I've ever seen Herbert West and Frankenstein in the same place at the same time before. So I'm excited to see how that interaction goes. They meet three times in the book. The way I write is I have ideas, I have, a direct, I have the characters, and I just let it go. I, I learned that from Stephen King in his book on writing. That's what he does. And it was always the way I did, but thought I was doing wrong. I thought I had to outline, but he said, don't. So I have to go with Stephen King. I put them together. And at one point, a philosophical discussion comes out of it between Garul, who doesn't speak a lot. He rarely speaks. And West in the philosophy difference between him and Victor Frankenstein. And we actually have what he, what West sees Victor Frankenstein as and his difference between the two of them in this one chapter. And uh, I, I hope it works for everybody because to me, I was reading this. It's like, wow, I never knew I was going to do that. <laughs> I listen to you. You're all giggling. That's great. <laughs> it's just like I, I just realized, like, you know, when I think about when my writing, it's like I have these moments where it's like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> I mean, I've had whole chapters happen like that. I have a chapter that has nothing to do with the monsters itself. Garul's just watching something. But it has to do with the terrible nature of warfare. And I wrote that, and I ended up using a very famous fictional character. And I'm reading this, and it's like where the hell did I come up with this? <laughs> you know, it's like, I just don't know anymore sometimes where my brain goes uh-huh. and when I'm writing. I mean, as a fellow creative, I understand it's, <laughs> it's always exciting and fun when something new like that comes up and then you start to think about, well, I guess it might've been where it came from, but I had no idea. <laughs> when it, yeah, when I put it down. That's what a lot of this book is. I, I had had certain characters I put aside, maybe if I was going to use them, and then all of a sudden I start writing and I start using another character in another direction. And it's like, okay, that's where apparently I'm going. <laughs> so it ended up a full novel, the first one I've ever written, and Quest of Frankenstein. J.M. liked it a lot, and he is a tough critic, so I got to love that. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a good guy. He's an amazing human being. He's a caring human being. But he's also the kind of editor that you really want. And he will tell you, hey, you got to start working on this, this, and this because you need to get better at this. You know, he'll, he'll tell you flat out what you need to work on. And I've actually learned a great deal from him and from other editors like him. 
over the years. A good editor really can teach you how to be a better writer. And I got lucky with mine. That's great. I mean, to, yeah. to have that collaboration, you know. Well, you know, I grew up reading about how edit, some editors were really terrible to writers like Harlan Ellison and all of that. And, you know, I, I'm not Harlan Ellison. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not on that level. I mean, you know, Harlan, Harlan can have that, those problems because he's Harlan. He's a full degree beyond several thousand degrees beyond me let's put it, uh, in terms of skill so maybe he's had that i've never really had those kind of issues the editors i've worked with tommy hancock joe gentile and of course jm uh, have been genuine teachers i mean i've got to also add uh, the late howard hopkins he taught me a great deal about how to write uh, through editing me and being a very tough editor it's like i look back and i say to myself you know i improved because these guys were willing to say to me hey you know what this is what you need to do to get better mm-hmm. the novel set in 1914 most of your work is a period piece or are period pieces is this the first time you've said something in this particular era yes definitely I've never written that era. I've written mostly in the 30s, the 40s, and I've gone up to the 50s and 60s, but I've never gone back that far. And that's interesting because that's where a lot of the basis of Pulp Fiction comes from. Most of the characters in Pulp Fiction are former war heroes. I mean, uh, Doc Savage and uh, his five friends were all involved in the war, and there's been a lot of speculation on how they met during the war. The greatest pulp writer in my world uh, is Philip Jose Farmer. And Philip Jose Farmer wrote a story in a prison camp known as Loki and got involved in a whole adventure there as well. If you read Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction tends to have the characters working uh, at one time at World War I. They were at one time serving in the war and met up with their underlings and helpers and friends. The, the spider, for example, talks about being a flyer and an artillery officer. Doc Savage was a lieutenant in the Air Corps. Uh, one of his assistants um, was a brigadier general. I mean, you go down the list of his assistants, only one of them doesn't have an, a military one. It's a very interesting part of hero pulp. So... Writing the origin of that gave me a chance to sort of show how terrible that war was because we talk a lot about Civil War. We talk a lot about World War II. We don't talk about World War One, which are the most horrible wars of all time. No, I, I guess I hadn't really thought about it. But no, you're, you're absolutely right I, that they all have these connections to World War One. Oh, yes. Even Indiana Jones has a connection to World War One. So, I mean <laughs> – that's the thing with this. This uh, World War One was one of the few times in history where multiple countries were using poison gas to attack their enemies. I mean, it, it was a terrible, terrible war that that cost many lives and it changed the face of the world. But we don't talk about it that much. And so I decided to show at times during this war how terrible it was. You know, during this book, there's a there's some real moments where you got to get an idea of what that war did to people. So the war is a backdrop as well as a character in a sense. 
I'm real interested to see how that kind of ties in to these horrific, monstrous characters. You've got this real-world horror going on. You've got a little bit of Lovecraft going on. you got our Frankenstein monster. Well, I say ours, but it sounds like a totally different kind of Frankenstein monster that we're all used to seeing. I'm excited to see how this turns out. You said it comes out in August. It does. The middle of August, I believe. Uh, I haven't heard the date yet. Uh, I just got the galleys back, and they look just spectacular. JM does great work. And the, the cover, you got to see the cover because I put it out there uh, the minute it came out by Mike Hoffman, and it was like something Frazetta would have worked on. It was just incredible. I was just about to say that. It's got a very Frazetta-like feel. Yeah, Mike Hoffman is quite an am very, very impressed with his skill. I'm a tough audience with that stuff, but he really showed me. Well, obviously, we'll make sure there's a link to all of this in the show notes. People have to check this out. I'm excited for this book. I can't believe I have to wait like another month or so for it to come out. This looks like it's going to be something I'm going to tear through. Yeah, well, I'm hoping everybody agrees with you. <laughs> really, yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of work. I mean, whew. anybody who thinks that writing is easy, I just want to, it's like, come to my dojo. I want to take you on the floor for a few minutes. <laughs> you know, it's like, <sighs> don't ever tell me this is easy. It's like, it's easier for me to fight the master of my school, a former professional bodyguard to the stars and world champion kickboxer and karate expert than it is to spend a, a day writing a chapter. I mean, I'd rather get beat by the man who is just so good at fighting <laughs> than, than some days it's like, oh my God, this thing is killing me. And I because I am, I never give up. You know, it might be tough, but it's oh so satisfying. So I, I can't wait to right. read it. Now, the original Frankenstein books, the French ones that this is all spun out of, there were five of those. Do you have plans for another one? We'll see how everybody takes this one. I mean, it's possible. I have an idea. Okay. Um, I can tell you just a piece of the idea. It's up to him whether he likes it. Uh, but it would involve a trip through North America and the many monsters from North and South America that he would encounter for his own purposes. And, you know, that ties directly into the old Frankenstein story. Uh, the Lucha Door Heroes fought oh. Frankenstein in versions of Frankenstein many times. See, I was thinking in my head, he's got to fight a chupacabra. But you mentioned Lucha, and I'm all in. Yeah, I love Lucha, Luchadors. I mean, I, I told you when we met last time on Monster Kid Radio, um, I actually saw Mil live twice when I was a kid in the 70s. And uh-huh. it was like I was driving my poor father crazy, you know, talking about monsters and stuff like that. Because I used to watch it without understanding a word of what's going on because I don't speak any Spanish. But I, I still I do watch it that way. <laughs> It's like, yeah, yeah, I don't understand what's going on, but it doesn't matter. I mean, the Champions of Justice, you get to see like eight luchadors driving motorcycles in the beginning of the movie. I mean, you can't go wrong with this stuff. (laughs) That's the superhero team I want to hang out with right there. Oh, yeah. It's like, forget the Justice League. I forget it. I want to. I want to hang out with the Blue Demon and uh, Santos Junior and uh, (laughs) uh, Doctor Wagner and uh, and Mil Mascaras, who is the of the luchador world i mean this to me is just awesome yeah i mean of course i don't understand a word of what's going on because i don't speak any spanish but i just don't care (laughs) (laughs) awesome so quest of frankenstein coming out in august from black coat press check it out over at blackcoatpress.com and there will be ebook versions available through amazon i'm excited for this this is going to be a real treat i think thank you thank you 
really looking forward to seeing this book come out. Head over to monsterkidradio.net to look at the cover art of this episode of Monster Kid Radio, and you're going to see the incredible artwork by Mike Hoffman for the cover for the upcoming novel, The Quest of Frankenstein. Of course, you can see the cover over at blackcoatpress.com slash questfrankenstein.htm. Go check that out, and of course, eventually on the Black Coat Press website, you'll be able to pre-order the novel. I know that I'm going to be one of the first people to do that because this sounds awesome. You know what also sounds awesome to me? Having Frank back here in a couple of days to talk about our favorite film, Frankenstein. We haven't done a list here on Monster Kid Radio in quite a while, so let's do one. Frank's going to bring his top three. I'm going to bring my top three favorite film Frankenstein monsters. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that here in a couple of days. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Once again, thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you for downloading us, maybe reviewing us on iTunes or giving us a shout out on Facebook or however it is you listen to the podcast. I appreciate your support. Thanks to Frank Schildener for joining us here on the show, to Mike Hoffman and Black Coat Press for that awesome cover art that we turned into the cover art of this episode of MKR. There will be links to Black Coat Press over on our website, monsterkidradio.net, which is also where you can find everything else you need to know about the podcast between episodes. We have links to everything, like our Facebook group, where you can go and become a member of the group and talk with other Monster Kid Radio listeners about anything that you've heard here on the show or any other Monster Kid Radio topic. We have our Patreon page, where you can go and support the show that way. We have a link to every song that's appeared here on the show, and we have our contact information. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com, and our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. You can call and leave us a message just like Joe did. Hey, Derek. Joe Lighton here. Just got finished listening to the last couple of podcasts on Zach which I did not realize was The Bloodwaters of Dr. Z. I actually think I have that on DVD. I will have to check that out. You know, my rule is whenever you guys talk about a movie or an actor or whatever, and it makes me want to go back, then you guys did a great job. I think you did a great job on the podcast. You and your guests, interesting stories, and I have never seen this film. Looking forward to Frankenstein. Uh, one of my absolute favorite stories of all time is Frankenstein's story. And boy, we've had a lot of great interpretations of Frankenstein over the years. We've had a lot of bad interpretations of Frankenstein over the years. And I really look forward to uh, listening to the Frankenstein episodes. My top Frankenstein monsters, God, I don't know. I was thinking about it. I like Karloff, but I like Karloff in Bride of Frankenstein better than Frankenstein. And I know that goes against a lot of what most fans feel, but... I think I like him, maybe because he talks, he's got a little bit more to do. I don't know, but I, I do like Karloff and Bride. I don't have any information, but a few years back, I want to say it was BBC or BBC America, ran a uh, Frankenstein story, and the actor who played the creature at that was really very, very good. He, I, I don't have a lot of information on it, but I do remember seeing it on, um, I believe Netflix had it, and... He had the longer black hair. He was very good in it. That interpretation of Frankenstein, that, that version of it, is very, very good. I'm also a big fan of is it Michael Sarazen from Frankenstein, The True Story. I just recently picked that up on DVD. That was the TV one from the 70s uh, with Jane Seymour and James Mason. As a little kid watching that, that was a different Frankenstein story, and that one always stuck with me. So I have to say that's another one of my favorites. 
Uh, look forward to hearing what your favorites are, and look forward to the podcast. Frankenstein, broad subject, man. You could you could do quite a number of shows on that, so I'm really looking forward to it. All right, Derek, take care. Bye. Yeah, thanks for calling in, Joe. Yeah, the Bloodwaters of Dr. Z, the Zat episode, that was a lot of fun, and it wasn't something that was really overly planned. Like I said last time around, when we found out that Chris McMillan, last week's guest, was going to be going to Florida for vacation, and he wanted to check out some of the locations from Zat, I knew it was something we had to talk about here on Monster Kid Radio. You know, it's a fun movie. Is it high art? Oh, certainly not. It's cheesy, it shows its seams, but it also shows its passion, so still enjoyable. As for Frankenstein, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Frank Schildener about his upcoming novel. And thank you for sharing your thoughts about some of your favorite Frankenstein monsters. The Bride of Frankenstein, Frankenstein Monster, Karloff, is a master. I don't think anybody would ever dispute that. There's a reason why we call him one of the patron saints of Monster Kid Radio. The evolution of the character from the original Frankenstein to Bride of Frankenstein and then to Son, it's interesting. Now, I've heard that... Karloff himself was not a big fan of the monster speaking, but if the monster was going to speak, I liked him speaking in The Bride of Frankenstein. I liked the evolution of the character and the added depth to the pathos and the conflict within the monster itself. It's just so well verbalized and vocalized by Boris Karloff and directed by James Whale in such a masterful way. You cannot help but be moved. As far as BBC versions of Frankenstein, I tried to do some quick searching because I've seen so many Frankenstein movies and TV shows over the years that they sometimes kind of blend together in my head. I went online, I typed in BBC Frankenstein, and I found a lot. I had no idea that Daniel Radcliffe is going to be in an upcoming movie about Frankenstein. I didn't know that Sean Bean is going to be in a six-part miniseries for ITV about Frankenstein. There's a lot of stuff coming, which is great. I think it's wonderful that we've got more Frankenstein hitting the pop culture. That's that's fantastic for us monster kids. I think, I mean, Universal's upcoming efforts, it doesn't matter. I like having more Frankenstein out there, and I'm looking forward to sharing my top three Frankenstein monsters and Franks in the next episode of Monster Kid Radio. You know what, listeners? If you'd like to let us know what your favorite Frankenstein monsters are, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Why don't you call it in? Be part of the show on the next episode here. Again, the voicemail line is 503-479-5657, or send an MP3 or wave file to monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Two more bits of business and then we're out of here. First of all, remember, we're still running the Monster Rally Retro Awards. The ballot is still open. We're honoring the best actor, actress, director, best monster film, and best monster from 1931, 41, and 51. And we're asking for your help to do it. Go to our website, follow the link to the Rally Retro Awards ballot, or just go straight to tinyurl.com slash rallies two zero. One five. The ballot is due June 7th, and then later on in June, we'll announce the winners and determine who the Monster Kid Radio listeners deem to be the best from these three decades of monster movies. And finally, there's still time for you to sign up for the monthly Monster Rally Checkpoint newsletter by entering your email address and hitting subscribe. It's over on the right-hand side of the page at monsterkidradio.net. I'm going to be putting out the new issue here probably on Wednesday which means if you want to get the May edition, you can still put your email address in there and get yourself on the list. Again, thank you for listening, everybody. 
Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Strato Party. That belongs to the band Sonomish. It's on their album, Strato Party. You can find them on Facebook or on their Bandcamp page, which is tsunamish.bandcamp.com. That's spelled T-S-U-N-A-M-I-S-H.bandcamp.com. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Talk to everybody here in a couple of days when we talk more about Frankenstein. With Frank. (laughs) 